This morning, we are opening our Bibles to, if you would open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I'll read there in a minute. I'm going to read another place, and this will be on the screen. But I want you to look with me in, at that verse in just a moment here. So we go to the word of the Lord, and we just ask the Lord, would you bless his word today? Bless his servant today. Bless our hearts to understand the great message that he has for us today. And we say, in Jesus' name. We have been in this series, it's really designated Christology. And there is, uh, there's not a greater subject that we can study. Nothing higher, there's nothing more sublime that we could attain to in our thoughts than the study of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, hallelujah. To behold him, that is, to behold Christ, is to behold the personification of God's glory and God's wisdom. Now before I get to that passage that I, we're going to take you on, Colossians says this, thinking about when we see Jesus, we see the great wisdom of God. He said this, Paul said this, For I want you to know how great a conflict I have for those that are at Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged in being knit together in love and attain, see I told you a minute ago we're rich, here it is, and attaining to all riches of full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of this mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Everyone say, of Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, and, and Paul was concerned that they're losing touch with Christ. They were losing touch with the importance of Christ and Christ alone for all that we need. He said, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in who? Christ. Our faith is in Christ. Christos. The Messiah. The anointed one. Notice he says, And you therefore, have, as, therefore having received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received, just like you received him. I received him by grace through faith. And every day we walk by faith. We look to Christ in the first of the journey. He begins the journey in the middle of the journey. And we'll behold him at the completion of the journey. We look to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. Now I want to speak today about Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. We spoke about the deity of Christ. We spoke about the humanity of Christ. I spoke a whole message on the mind of Christ. Today I want to speak about Jesus the Christ. That's who he is. Christ is not his last name, by the way. Paul traveled in his day some approximate 2,000 years ago. Paul traveled to the very heart of Greek culture and Greek sophistication. And he proclaimed to them the highest wisdom the world has ever known. 
Now, I'm going to read this passage. I had you turn there, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Now, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that Paul does not give his audience what they want, nor does he give his audience what is popular in the day, but he simply proclaims to them the wisdom of God. In fact, if we're going to read this, he actually gives them what they really do not want. Completely opposite of the way that we think today. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. We're giving the world something that they say is foolish. It's, it's moronic. Notice, to the world's thinking. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, they say something like this. How can a man who died on a cross, how can a Jewish man who, who lived in a small village, grew up in a small village, born in a small village, lived and grew up in a small nation, died in a small nation, died on a cross 2,000 years ago, how in the world does that have anything to do with me in 2020? Foolish. But to us, are you the us today? I'm the us but to us who are being saved. Now, I even preached a message not long ago about the tenses of salvation. Do you know the tense that the scripture most often use about salvation? It's not saved, but it's being saved. We're, we're being saved. We're saved, but being saved. Being saved. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is where the power of there. There's power in this message to change lives. That's what Jesus does. For it is written, he quotes Old Testament here. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Then he says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater, the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God, those that think they're wise in this world, God says, I've made them foolish. Why? For since in the wisdom of of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. You cannot reach God through philosophy. You cannot reach God through man's wisdom. He says wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. Wisdom will not bring you to God, but the message that we preach today will. Verse 22. The Jew requests a sign. They want miracles. Give us the miracles. I won't believe unless I get miracles. Let me tell you, I don't ever have to see a miracle again. I believe in a God of miracles. I don't ever have to see a miracle again to be convinced of anything. This is true whether there's a miracle or not. He is the Christ. Give me a, give me a miracle. Prove it to me with a miracle. The Greeks, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, Christos, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. One time a rich lady wanted to get saved. And she knew that not many, 
She said, she said it didn't say not any, but it said not many. <laughs> Come on. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not. In other words, the things that the world looks at and says there's nothing to that. It says to bring to nothing the things that are. That's how God works. He uses donkeys. He uses roosters. He uses sticks. He uses slings. He uses the poor. He uses the weak. He uses the helpless. Jesus dying on the cross in weakness is the power of God to save the whole world. That's how God works. That's how God thinks. You realize today, God can use this church. God can use us. You say we're nothing, but we're something in the eyes of God because we don't have to be something. He's everything. Hallelujah. We have to think like God thinks. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but to him you are in Christ Jesus, Christos Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, Joshua in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New, who became for us wisdom from God. When you see Jesus, you see the wisdom of God. When you hear the message of the gospel, which the world says is foolishness, that is the wisdom of God. That's how God has chosen to redeem Adam's fallen race. Who is he? He's, he's our righteousness. He's our sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There's only one, listen, there's only one sin of attraction in any real church. If there's any, if there's any worship going on, ain't no preacher being worshiped, I can promise you. But I tell you, Jesus needs to be the center of it all. Hallelujah. We've sang about him this morning. We've worshiped him this morning. Holy, holy, holy is his name. That's what the angel said. That holy thing which will be in you shall be called the Son of God. The deity of Christ. The humanity of Christ. The mind of Christ. And today, Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah. When you're saying Messiah, you're saying Christ. He's the anointed one. When you're saying the anointed one, you're saying Messiah. You're saying Christ. It's, they're all synonyms. And Christ Jesus is the one who fulfilled all of the Old Testament predictions and prophecies. Over 300 prophecies. The, the statistical probability of one person fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies is a one with so many zeros behind it that it is literally impossible, but we know that there's nothing impossible with God. Why? God sent his son 2,000 years ago, and he said, I'll fulfill every single one of those. Not only did he fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies, Jesus the Christ that is, but he fulfills all of our hopes and all of our dreams, the hope that Christ has in the earnest of our inheritance. I mean, we're going somewhere. This church is going somewhere. Paul uses this term, this phrase that is, 
in Christ. And when he uses that, you've read it, it's over and over again in Paul's writing, in Christ. In, you are in Christ Jesus. We are accepted in the beloved. That's in Christ. And that indicates this intimate relationship that, that he wants to bring. See, God just didn't save us from a distance. He came close to us. It tells us something about how he wants to relate to us. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. That's Christ in us. Christ is in us. You understand? Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. The indwelling Christ, being saved, doesn't mean, well, you know, I like this doctrinal statement, I'll, I'll join the church. No, being saved is a supernatural experience where you're spiritually born. Christ comes to live in you. Christ indwells every single child of God. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit is here today because we are here today. And he is among us today, not just outside of us today, but he's within us today. He lives in the heart of every child of God. It's a great mystery. In fact, in Colossians 1.27, he calls it a mystery, a great mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But this in Christ, this intimate relationship. You know, you look at the Jewish culture and you look at the writings of the New Testament and you see things like, you know, how they would... They would sit around the, the, the table of fellowship. And, and to eat in that Oriental culture, that, that Near East culture, it was a very intimate thing. I mean, they would like lay on each other. They would touch each other. You know, we're kind of like, like hey, you know, don't be touching me, man. But there was this intimacy. When they drank the cup, you know, we, we take, each take a communion cup, but they drank out of the common cup. And I was raised in the Catholic Church, and that's the way we did it. Everyone drank out of the same cup. It's a little bit gross, really, when you think about it. <laughs> I didn't think about it much as a kid. I'm kind of thinking about it right now. It was a little gross in the natural. But, it, but, but it, it, there's a oneness to the body. There's a oneness. There's an intimacy with Christ. John even said we touched him. We heard him. We, we, we were there with him. See, Jesus saved us. That we may walk with him. You know, he said, my sheep know my voice. They hear me. They walk with me. They follow me. There's this in Christ. There's this intimacy in the Revelation. I actually read the book of Revelation this morning. I just perused through it and just thrilled my soul to know that we conquer over all of the enemies of the Lamb. And in that first chapter, he said this. He said in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the rulers of the kings of the earth. Notice, to him who loved us. The NIV puts it in the present. Him who loves us. He loves us and he washed us from our sins in his blood. Notice, he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus has made us kings and priests. Kings rule. We are ruling with him. He said, well, we're going to rule with him in the future. No, friend. We're ruling with him right now. We have a spiritual position. We have been lifted out of spiritual death, out of Adam's fallen race, and we've been lifted up into Jesus' redeemed race. And as the children of God, we are seated with Christ, and we're ruling with him. Listen, our sins are forgiven. Sin does not dominate us anymore. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We are a kingdom of priests unto him. And as a priest, priests, what did they do? They dealt with sacrifice and service, but they got to go into the presence of God. And as we are the children of God in Christ, we're in his presence. Now, when we think about this, 
this title and this name. Jesus. His name should be called Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ is, is the phrase in the name. And, and as I've said, you understand, Jesus is the equivalent of Joshua. It means the Lord is salvation. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. When I think of this experience that Paul had in the book of Acts, Paul met the Christ. Paul met the Christ on the Damascus Road when we were there in northern Galilee. We were in Caesarea Philippi. We were about a mile from the Syrian border. When I was standing there, we were literally at the fence. You know, there was a buffer zone of about a mile. You could see Syria. We weren't like, it wasn't like step over the fence and you're in Syria. But there was a, a fence. Don't go past here. Definitely don't go past here. You know, and then, and then there was Syria. And you could see the war, the war encampment on the Syrian side. And I was sitting there, standing there, and I was looking across there. And one of the things that our guide said, Malcolm Cortier was his name. He grew up, served in the Israeli army. And he says, he, he said, you see that hill? He said, don't take any pictures. No pictures of that hill. I was like, wow, what's going on on that hill? And he said that if you take a picture, they will come down. They're going to take your phone. The military will take your phone. So I don't know what was going on behind me. I didn't really look too much. But I looked across there. And he said, there's Syria. And Damascus is 75 miles from here. It's about 75 miles to Damascus. And you know what I thought about when I heard Damascus? I thought that's where Paul met Christ. Amen? That's where Paul met the Christ. Can I, can I read it to you this morning? Look at this. It says, And then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's what they called it, the way. I'm glad. I'm on the way, aren't you? I like that, the way. Called it the way. Well, that was a good title, even though it was from our enemies. The way. Whether men or women, that might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, you'll notice here, it tells us in chapter, we get a feeling of what Paul's doing here in chapter 7, verse 58. He says, and he cast, he cast him, this is Stephen, cast him out of the city. And they stoned Stephen, they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. Here they are stoning this man. Now, you know, there again, we're desensitized to this. Can you imagine taking large rocks and just pummeling a man to death? The blood is flowing. His skull is being cracked open. He's being lacerated. I mean, it's a bloody thing. Here's Saul, the young Pharisee. And they say, he's saying to them, hey, I'll watch your clothes. Go ahead and do what you need. And he stood there and watched all of that happen. Chapter 8, verse 3, notice this. And Saul, he made havoc of the church. Notice, entering every house. Notice the phraseology, dragging off men 
and women committing them to prison. This is serious violence against Christians in the first century. Havoc. Dragging them off. Moms and dads dragging them off. Little children crying. Don't take my mommy. We read when Paul testified years later. His own testimony in chapter 22 of this book. Verses 2 and 3. He says this. And when they heard that, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. They kept all the more silent. And then it says in verse 3, I am indeed a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictest, the strictness of the Father's law. And I was zealous, I was zealous toward God. And notice verse 4, I persecuted the way to death. Think about it. The greatest Christian to ever live, in my opinion, was a murderer. Murdered Christians. This is his testimony. Read it. To the death, binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women. Here's a man who's heartless. Do you know that religion is cruel? Religion makes someone cruel. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus makes us love. One one thing says, it says here, he was breathing out threats. In one place, breathing out threats against the church. That literally means this. To be dedicated to, to, to become dedicated to something Conceived as of that thing bringing one's life breath. This is my life's breath. This is my life. I want to persecute the church. But all of a sudden, something happened in this man's life. And we find it in verse 3 of Acts 9. And, and he said, I journeyed and I came near Damascus. I mean, here I was, you know, 50 miles maybe from where this happened. And suddenly a light shone around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I mean, I'm telling you, here's a man, he's full of murder. He's imprisoning the church. Men and women, mothers, fathers. People just like you that have said yes to Jesus. And the only reason they're being placed in prison is because they're following Jesus. And now here's Saul. He's about to be transformed and he's on the way to Damascus and the glory of Christ. Do you know we have a glorious Christ? And all of a sudden, who are you, Lord? Why do you persecute me? And he said, I am Jesus. Christos. Jesus, Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what the Lord meant there? You know, an ox will kick the, the sharp stick. He doesn't want to go, he doesn't want to do something. And so he kicks, the ox kicks. And the master said, I'm going to get you where I want to go, and he'll poke you. I mean, no, God's poking Paul. 
God's poking him. God said, and later, you know, you read the scripture. Paul said, from my mother's womb, I had been called. That's what he said. From my mother's womb, I had been called. See, a lot of people, there's, there's folks passing this building, maybe right now. And God has a destiny for them from eternity past. And they're fighting against God. But God, the, he, you can't fight against Jesus and win. I was thinking about some things that are happening in our government. Some blasphemies that happened this week. I heard some blasphemies from, from people that are lost. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit because of something that's going on right now. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And I told my wife, I said, that man better be careful. Because when, it's not, usually when somebody blasphemes the Holy Spirit, they don't stay around very long. It's an eternal sin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Paul hadn't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The Bible said he did it ignorantly. Now notice the glory of Christ shines around him. He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Big Paul, Saul, arrogant, angry, powerful in every way. But notice this verse. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That was one of the smartest things he ever said. Come on, man. <laughs> what do you want me to do? That's what you need to ask the Lord today. What do you want me to do? You're living your life. You're doing your own thing. Listen, you're kicking against the go. It's going to get hard for you. You're going to reap a harvest you don't want to reap. Why don't you just surrender to Jesus today and say, What do you want me to do, Lord? And he said, I want you to go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. Notice this. Paul met the glorious Christ. Notice the closeness of Jesus. We're in Christ. Notice the closeness of Jesus with his people. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Well, as far as I know, Jesus was physically in heaven. But he's so organically connected with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He feels what we feel. Come on, he feels what we feel. But not only did Paul meet the glorious Christ... But he preached Christ. Now, I'm going to skip over a part. Ananias came and ministered to him. The scales fell off his eyes. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He regained his strength. And notice this in Acts 9. It says in verse 20, immediately he preached. What did he preach? Well, notice what he preached. Come on. It's just on the screen. And he, did he preach four steps to doing better? Did, did he preach? Your, your, what did he preach? Help me. Somebody preach to me. The Christ, he preached the Christ, the Christ in the synagogue, that he is the Son of God. And then all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not him who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he came here for this purpose, that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. Notice, and Saul increased in all the one's strength, and he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. He met the Christ, and when you meet the Christ, you've got to proclaim the Christ. You got to say something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Here's Paul redeemed, and he had to speak because it was in his heart to speak. This is Jesus the Christ. I've met him personally, I know him. And Paul's lifelong pursuit was the Christ. In Philippians, it says this not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on to lay hold of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. 
I've met him. I saw his glory. He changed my life. I, I know who he is. And now I'm pursuing who? The Christ. Christ Jesus, Messiah, Jesus. Who laid hold of me? Then, then he says, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Notice again, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus, Christ became all. Christ became his morning, his noon, and his night. In fact, later on he said, for me to live is Christ. I have no reason to exist because in him I move and I have my being. That's what happens when you really meet Christ. I mean, you know, Jesus is the Christ. That means the anointed one. Now, anointing, anointing has to do with calling and equipping. And, and I'll just skip over this quickly and touch it quickly. The act of anointing, the physical act of anointing, taking oil and anointing, is rooted in the Old Testament. He said, Samuel, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. In Exodus, it says of the priest, and anointed them, and anointed as they anointed their father. They anointed Aaron. They anointed his sons. Leviticus 8 says, they poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head. It says of Saul that Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. King says this, Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. We see this anointing is rooted in the history of the Old Testament. Who was anointed? In the Old Testament, they would anoint, as I've said, priest. All the priests, in fact, in Exodus 29, there's an elaborate ceremony of how they're anointed. And even the psalmist says that how good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that's on the air and it ran down his face and this, down his beard, etc. That's, that's the anointing. The priest was anointed, but also kings were anointed. You hear it? The priest was anointed. The king was anointed. He, David said, I will not touch the anointed of the Lord. It has to do with calling, but it also has to do with equipping. Do you realize the Old Testament promised an anointed leader? This was the cry. This was the longing of the Jewish people that this, this coming one, this anointed one, this Messiah was going to come. 700 years before Jesus physically came, Isaiah says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of the root, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's the coming one. Isaiah, through the Spirit of God, says he's coming. They didn't know it would take 700 more years. Isaiah again, behold my servant who am I uphold my elect, my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He, is the, he will be the anointed one. Jeremiah said this, behold the days are coming, says the Lord, I will raise up David a branch. David a branch of righteousness. This coming one. All the Old Testament, we could be summed up in this. Someone's coming. By the time Jesus was born, the, the messianic expectation was at fever pitch. 
John the Baptist goes out and he's, he's baptizing in water. And they, they say, are you the one? It was so, it, are you the one? He said, no, but there's one coming. I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. Do you realize that I've heard people say foolishly, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be the Messiah. How foolish is that? Jesus was at a well one day, on a hot day, I'm sure. He was thirsty. And there was a woman that came to that well. And he said, dear lady, would you give me something to drink? She was surprised because she realized that the, 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 the racism in that day was... The Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. You Jewish man, why are you asking me? This, is, this, seemed, this was a strange thing that, they would, that this would even, interaction would even happen. And Jesus said to her, lady, if you knew, I'm paraphrasing, of course, if you knew who it was talking to you, I would give you living water. And you'd never have to come back to this well anymore. I know Messiah's coming. And now, all of a sudden, this woman who we know is a very sinful, she gets very religious. You ever notice you, somebody can be doing the craziest stuff in the world, and all of a sudden you start talking about church. Oh, yeah, yeah, I grew up in church. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember. And here's this lady trying to give Jesus a sermon. Isn't that hilarious? Trying to inform Jesus where true worship is supposed to take place. We Samaritans worship here, and I know you Jews worship there. But Jesus says it's coming a time, not in this mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but I'm going to be in my people. I'm going to be Christ in my people, and they're going to worship me, how? In spirit and in truth. Real worship. And then here's what Jesus says to her. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, the anointed one, is coming, who is the Christ. And when he comes... He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the anointed one. Peter made his great confession. I'm almost done. Peter made his great confession. Who do you say that I am? Or who do men say that? Some say that you're the prophet or the Jeremiah or Elias or one of the, or, uh, you know, you're one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Peter made the great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When, Peter, when, when Jesus preached a sermon that everyone disliked and most of the crowd went and joined another church, he turned to Peter and said, Will you leave also? Peter said this, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know the next thing that Jesus said when Peter makes that, that first great confession? Don't tell a person. In fact, Luke says it this way. He strictly warned them. Very strong word. Tell no one that I am Messiah. Isn't that strange? If you found the Messiah, you'd want to go proclaim it everywhere. And many of them did. And the Bible said then he had to minister out in the desolate places. They hindered his ministry. You know why that Jesus said, don't speak to anyone? Because 
the Jews, the Jewish leaders had created a conquering hero, Messiah, in the minds of the Jewish people. They could not fathom that the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, would be beaten with whips, would be scourged, would be hanging on a cross. They couldn't grasp it. Even his own disciples, Peter pulled him aside and said, You're, that's not going to happen to you. You're not going to Jerusalem. You're not going to be suffer at the hands of the Romans and the religious leaders. Far be it from you, Peter said. Jesus said, rather, Satan, get behind me. Satan had got in the thoughts of the apostle Peter. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking in the wisdom of God. He was thinking in the wisdom of men. In the wisdom of God, the Messiah wasn't going to be this superhero. He was going to hang on a cross, naked on a cross, for the sins of the world. He's Jesus the Christ. You are the Christ. I want you to stand with me this morning. He is Jesus the Christ. I will finish this message. Listen, I'll finish this message online on Wednesday evening. I'll be on Facebook Live. I'll be on Zoom Live. I'll finish this message about Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He came and he's coming again one day to establish his full kingdom. But that kingdom has already started in our hearts and our lives. The kingdom is here now in spiritual aspect. But one of these days Christ will come and he will rule and reign. He will fix our brokenness. So what should we do today? In response to Jesus the Christ. I think we should just worship him. He's worthy of our praise. Would you just take a moment. As we conclude this service. Maybe just lift your hands. And just think about this wonderful Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is worthy of all of our praise. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I worship you, Lord Jesus. You are the Christ. I confess you. You are the Christ of God. You are Jesus. Maybe you have a need in your life. Let me tell you, there's power in His name. Just like there was power in His ministry on earth, there's power in His name right now. The name of Jesus, demons have to flee. There is peace and healing in His name. He can still calm the seas of our heart. He can wash our sins away. He is Jesus the Christ. And we're in Him. And He's in us. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. We exalt the name of Jesus the Christ. We worship you, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that, Lord, once again... We could open this blessed book and we could meditate on these words because these are your very words, the very words of God. Lord, I pray for every need across this room. Lord, I pray you, you know, you know what we need and you know what each individual needs today. 
I pray special grace. Lord, I pray that, that we as a congregation would come to more of a realization of how blessed we are to have the Word of God. How blessed, we're the most blessed people on the face of the earth. We are rich in your grace and mercy. Take us deeper in your presence. Take us deeper in your word. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Lord, my prayer is that this church would so love the word of God that week after week after week, that it would fill up with people that you would say, more, more of your word. More of your word, Jesus. I pray for blessing, Lord, as we conclude this day, this Lord's Day morning. I ask you, Lord, that all the prayers that we pray today for advancement, for this building, and for supply. But, Lord, more, more than anything, more than any prayer, that you would just help us to stay spiritually healthy and holy. Lord, we saying holy, holy, holy today. But, Lord, you want to make us holy. This is, this is why we were saved, to be made holy. And you said, as we receive Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Cleanse our hearts today. Keep our minds clean this week. If the enemy comes in, let the Spirit of the Lord lift up a standard against him. Help us to have that calm trust, to not be ruffled, to not be panicked. To not have a panic heart or a panic mind, but to rest in Christ Jesus. That we're safe and secure in Him. Watch over your people today. May this week be a blessed week. And for this we thank you today. Hallelujah. Now church, we, I pray the prayer that this church was named after. Trinity Life Church came from this verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the communion of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And everyone said, I love you, church. Be dismissed in Christ.